Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, I can't even wait for you to meet a longtime friend of mine. Sterling Hawkins is on, and he's got an amazing new book coming out called Hunting Discomfort. How to get breakthrough results in life and business, no matter what. And um, I'm so excited about the book. But I, he's got an incredible retail background too. And as you guys know, on our show, we always or we really focus on CPG and retail. So it's so going to be a, a fun conversation today. Sterling, it's so great to have you on. Justin, thanks for having me on, man. It's been so long since I know. I've seen you. Okay, it's great when, just to get together. Okay, when did we first meet? I was trying to man. rewind the clock. Do you remember? It was I, definitely it's a retail be like event. A decade ago, or something. Right, at least ten years. I think it yeah. was either when I was at Coke or right after I left. But isn't that funny? Long-term yeah. friends. We've stayed in touch over the years. We run into each other at a lot of the events, right? A lot of the the big industry events. Of course, I love it. Talk a little bit about you and your background. Some of our audience may not know you, although I know you have a massive following. But share with our audience a little bit about Sterling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you said it. I, I grew up in retail. My fifth generation retailer. My family still has a store in Central New York, although I'm not involved oh, with it anymore. I oh didn't yeah, know you that. didn't know this? Okay, no, I missed that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and it was my dad, uh, Gary Hawkins, who you also know. That yep. started one of, if not the first loyalty program in grocery in the U.S. back in the early 90s. And so cool. It, it was. Cool I, that, I didn't you know? appreciate it when I was a kid, though. You know, he would come home and he'd be <laughs> talking about it at the dinner table, about how they were charging different prices to different customers. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense to me. But I didn't understand how truly transformative it was for the industry. And, you know, that kicked off a huge wave of loyalty programs totally. and uh, the whole thing that seems to be wrapping uh, back up today just in a little different way. Yeah, I think so, too. In fact, it's interesting in grocery. I'm surprised more grocery chains don't have loyalty programs. We could talk about some that don't and the ones that are due. And just it's just amazing. I, I, anyway, I, you're right. I do see it coming back up now, um, especially as there's new routes to market for product and whatnot. Now, yeah. you also were part of a group called Center for Advanced for Center for Advancing Retail and Technology Cart. Uh, you were you've been involved with that for a while. Share with our audience a little bit about that. That's right. Well, it actually started at the store where we would bring in technologies from all over the world with a value prop of, listen, bring your technology in here. We'll test it out. We'll trial it. We'll give you data. We'll study it. And then invite all of your customers here, your investors here to come check it out. So it became kind of a store of the future. And that platform, so cool. it, it was a blast. I mean, I yeah. remember this is a 23,000 square foot in the <laughs> middle of Syracuse, New York, of all places. Wow. Um, interestingly enough, this is like a fun side fact. Syracuse has one of the most average demographic mixes in the U.S. So it's actually a fantastic place to test. Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so we got a ton of data, had a ton of visitors up there, all sorts of people. And it's grown today into a platform where we work with retailers and CPGs all around bringing new solutions into their um, innovation cycle, all technology solutions. Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah. And and that's really cool. And you got to see a lot of that in real life. You know what I mean? It's one thing to hear a pitch about technology. It's another to actually see it in production, right? 
Oh, uh, totally. And I got into that world myself. I mean, that's how I, I fell into this whole hunting discomfort thing is I, right. I didn't choose it. I kind of fell into it, but founded a company with my dad. Uh, this is back early 2000s. And it was really that next level of what loyalty was to be instead of just saying, okay, we're going to give the best customers this price and, you know, cherry pickers this price. We said, let's develop some software that's actually going to deliver a different price to you, Justin, than sure. somebody else, than somebody else and promote them different products. Dynamic pricing. Interesting. Right. Exactly. Like it, it's commonplace <laughs> today. And CBS is famous for their mile long sure. receipt and everything else. With oh, this, yeah. this was one of the first things that did that. And we started that in our store and long story short, we sold it to a group in Silicon Valley where it became part of like the Apple Pay before Apple Pay. Wow. And uh, it, it worked just like Apple Pay, except instead of having anything to do with your phone, it was just a little sensor that sat next to the credit card terminal and customers would put their finger down and all their loyalty, credit their cards data would come would be up, there. any of those things. Wow. And this, really, this really is cool. again, early 2000s and people would look at this thing and be like, man, this is <laughs> the future. Like we want right. to be part of this. So investors started throwing money at us. And I wow, that's a high five, class problem. $550 million. It was insane. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. That's multi change. dollar valuation. Wow. And then? I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I thought I had this whole thing figured out. I'm like, <laughs> I've got the loyalty on lock. I know retail. You gotta share got then what? <laughs> software company. Like we're flying high and I'm, I'm going to uh, become the next Richard Branson or something. I, I really did think I had it sorted. Uh, and then? It, right. <laughs> it's like setting myself up for the big fall. Uh, you know, around the housing market collapse, we we hadn't done a lot of organic growth. We grew mostly through acquisitions, other acquisitions, buying customers, subsidizing hardware, like all the wrong moves, especially if you're trying to build something sustainable. And so when the housing market collapsed, our investment dried up and the whole thing went bankrupt. Wow. And it, it was devastating for me. Right. Wow. It wasn't just like, oh, that didn't work out. Let's move on. My identity <laughs> right. was so tied up in this thing. It, it, right. It's, it's going to sound like I played out a bad country song. You know, I run out of cash. No. I don't have a job. I go from this right. big, beautiful penthouse uh, to my the guest bedroom in my parents' house, which is not a good oh. look in your 30s. <laughs> it's just it's just not. You know? So, OK, I mean, I, I didn't even think we were going to go here. Too. It's interesting. So then what did you do? Like, how did you bounce back from that? Because, you know, I, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to our show and not yeah. all of them will be successful. How did you kind of reset? I mean, what a major life reset, right? It, it really was. Uh, well, I remember the first night laying in bed, like really doing some soul searching. It was kind of a dark night of the soul moment where I'm saying, you know, do I want to go on? Can I go on? You know, it was so disruptive for me, my life, my identity, how I knew success to be like everything. It, it really took a, a hard look at myself and, you know, did kind of a self-reckoning to say, what's, where are you going to go from here, Sterling? Sure. And I, I made this declaration of myself that's become hugely important in my life. I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to come back from this failure. I don't know how I'm going to make a difference, but I will no matter what. And in those days, it was just like a simple thing to get myself out of bed in the morning, honestly. Right. It's like, I'm right. going to get up at eight o'clock tomorrow and go to the gym no matter what. I'm going to call the uh, creditors that I have no matter what. 
And, you know, what started as just something to get myself in motion and back in action has grown into a, a movement of people all over the world, hundreds of thousands of people declaring big visions and working through whatever discomforts in the way of achieving them. Wow. Um, it turns what out what works segue. for me works for everybody. <laughs> That's a great segue into your book, Hunting Discomfort. So I love the name. Um, when I, Thank you. I, you, know, you and I have stayed in touch over the years. When I saw the title, I was like, oh, good. It's got a good hook to it. Not every book does. <laughs> I hate to say it, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, and it's, it's it's like what what does he mean by discomfort and what are we talking about here? So uh, and we'll walk through your book, but talk about where the idea came from um, and and you know what was the big idea? Yeah, well, you know, it actually came when I was living at my parents' house for a while. My mom said this thing when I was a kid. She still has a lot of sayings. She had a lot of sayings, but the one that came back to me in that dark time was "the way out is through." It's actually a Robert Frost quote. And the thing that scared me most in that time, believe it or not, was speaking in public. What? Oh my I, God. I For know. For those who don't know Sterling, like <laughs> SterlingHawkins.com, you're going to see like, what? I mean, fear of speaking, but go ahead. I, people, I, I think a lot I, I of people are, are very fearful of speaking, right? I, I'm, I'm one of the people that would have much rather been in the coffin than giving the eulogy, like hands down. <laughs> And, and it was because like I lost myself, like I lost my identity. I didn't know who I was when I didn't wasn't part of this big startup. I wasn't part of the family store anymore. Like, who was I? I, I didn't know. And so I started to withdraw from friends and withdraw from communities. And um, yeah, and it, and it got to a, a clinical level of I just didn't want to be in public. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to do any of that. Sure. And this thing, wow. the way out is through, comes back to me. And I'm sitting at my computer one day thinking, okay, the way out is through. That must mean if I want to transform this situation, I've got to go through something that I'm afraid of. And it, it, it was like that the heavens opened up or the clouds parted. I, I don't know exactly how this happened, but my email <laughs> dings. And it's yeah. this conference in Singapore. Not okay. a not an email to me. It was just one of these kind of junk mail conference invites saying, you know, pay a hundred dollars and as an attendee and come to our conference. And I'll never forget the moment where I hit the reply button and I say, Why don't you have me speak? Best Sterling. <laughs> That's it. That's all I wrote. And then um and I end up getting on the phone with the conference director, sharing a little bit about my experience, talking to him about you know what I want to share from his stage, and he ends up bringing me in as the keynote speaker of their conference. Wow, Sterling, That's unreal! Awesome. It, it must have been one of those things where you have you, nothing to lose; you've got a lot to gain. Can I just say one thing too for those yeah. listening? If you don't ask, the answer is always no. All he it, did was exactly. reply to an email and say, "Can I come speak?" Yes, and in fact, become the keynote, right? If you don't ask, if you don't put yourself out there, the answer is always no. Right. Well, and another big ask. So that was the first one. But another big one that's important for entrepreneurs is, you know, as we started to align on the talk and he's ready to agree, I, I said, what's your speaker budget? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right. And, and he gave me a number. And it, this whole thing was so surreal to me. I was like, mm, I'd like to get paid twice that. Oh, man, it, it, you right. were getting aggressive early. Well, I, I figured like this, this is not real. There's no way he's actually going to bring me in. Like, right. Just go for it, you know? And he didn't meet my price, but we did meet somewhere in the middle and he's flying me business class to Singapore. And I get over there and days before this conference, I've got heart palpitations. I can't sleep. I can't <laughs> breathe. 
Like, I'm not kidding. I was terrified to my core. <laughs> and I, I had practiced incessantly. And it, I feel like there's this saying a lot in entrepreneurial communities, like the more you practice, the less nervous you'll be. I don't think that's that true, though. I don't know if that works for everybody. I, I went through that presentation verbatim hundreds, if not thousands of times. And I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. Like I was obsessed with it. Right. And I was as terrified as I could possibly be getting on that plane, sitting in the audience. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sweating. My oh, hands yeah, are worst. wet. That is bad feeling. I know. Yeah. And they call me up to the stage where the day comes. I'm looking at the audience. And You ever been really nervous where like the room starts to spin and you're really hot? <laughs> like that's what was happening to me. I okay, so for me, if you're asking me that question, the, the yeah. times there's one time in particular that I remember feeling that way, especially because I did not know the content very well that I was presenting. Yeah. And I was at an event and I started to feel like as if the audience was starting to see that I didn't know the content. Yeah. And it's just like it became and this is that early days. When, yeah, I just I just started speaking at events. And um I remember thinking, I have to get out of here as fast as possible. This is so bad. Like, and this friend of mine had invited me to, to you know, and I, I did feel it then. What I have found on the flip side is when I know my content and material and I just, I can just roll. You know what I mean? I don't have to yeah. practice. I know at least the majority of it. I'm the smartest guy in the room, quote unquote, for my content. Yeah. 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 Right on. Uh, and I, I think when you do it a lot, it, you kind of start to acclimate it to it. But at the time, this was like my first big debut. And it wasn't right. like I'm True. at Toastmasters. It's like <laughs> right. I'm on a stage in another country. There's hundreds of people looking at me. Oh, my gosh. And it, it is a good thing I practice and, and knew it so cold because my conscious brain just blacked out. Like, I don't remember giving most of that talk. <laughs> And I thought I bombed. I'm getting off the stage, kind of covering my eyes. And I'm just hoping to get out of there without seeing anybody. And, and of course, the conference director sees me, makes a beeline towards me, looks me in the eye. And he goes, Sterling, that's the greatest talk I've seen in my 17 years of doing this. What? Blew me Sterling? away. Sterling. So what a kind of like, what a path. And so then what did that lead you to do? Like, what did that trigger in you? You know what I mean? Well, uh, to this day, I'm convinced that that conference director was just saying something nice to me. Like, there's no <laughs> way he was in the talk that I gave. Uh, but he did go on to put me in touch with all of his conference director friends. It was the start of really oh, building wow. myself back cool. now That's as a, cool. a keynote speaker. And, you know, to this day, I'm like, man, mom was right. The way out is through. And that started this whole thing. Wow. Okay. So I love that. What a cool story. Um, so when did the book start? When did you start to put together ideas around it? And what did that look like for you? Yeah. So it was my sister that was kind of the impetus for it because she was right out of college when I totally crashed. I met my parents and I recruited her to uh, basically be my audience and help me build slides. She went to Georgetown, marketing oh, wow. major, super nice. smart. And I'm like, just, just help me. <laughs> you know, and so she listened to the talk. She came to Singapore with me. Uh, now she runs all of our operations and marketing for our uh, uh, our keynote speaking business. Oh wow, business that's really cool. But she watched the process I was going through, and she was like, "You know what, I Sterling, I think you're onto something here. Like, I'm going to try it." 
And the thing that scared her most was going after some uh, things in the world of health and fitness. And she said, you know what? I'm going to be a world-class bodybuilder. Like I've struggled with eating. I've struggled with diet. I've struggled with all those things, food allergies. And uh, she did it. You know, today she's a, a professional. Let me see if I get this right. A professional world-class bodybuilder. And if you see her Instagram, it's, it's insane. Like it's hard to believe this is my sister, <laughs> but that, that was the, the thing that had me switch to say, Hey, this, this isn't just something to dig myself out of the hole. This is something right. that actually works. And she started to share, people saw the transformation she had. They were asking her about it and the circle grew a little bit wider and I kept taking notes and then I would research things and then I would look at case studies and then I would work with clients in certain ways. And it started to be this foundation of um, data and insights and information wow. and you know around a core process that really started getting built, uh, I guess it was about 10 years ago. And it's been um, about that long to write the book in one way. In another way, wow. I only started writing it about 18 months ago. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about what's inside. Talk about your model as we've had other... Um, writers on there's always a model or structure talk about yours and how you approached content yeah well i think most importantly and the question i get always when i'm talking about hunting discomfort is uh, entrepreneurs or anybody talking to me is like sterling let me tell you about what's going on with my business and my cash flow and my development problems and my health issues and my relationships like i don't need to hunt discomfort i'm surrounded by it and that might be true but my answer is always the same If you're surrounded by discomfort in any area or everywhere, it doesn't mean you're hunting discomfort. It means you're living with it, which is a dramatically different thing. When you're hunting discomfort and you're using these five steps, I'll go through them in a second to do it. You're ultimately free of discomfort. And that's the point of this whole thing. You're free from the discomfort of any sort. could be public speaking, asking for money, uh, maybe some feelings of uh, not being good enough or not going to be able to be successful, whatever it is, when you hunt the discomfort, it leaves you free, not grounded in circumstances of freedom. Like, oh, I need a certain amount of money to be free, but actually free based totally. on nothing. Yeah, And that's the power of this stuff. So the first step is really the first step that I took is taking a hard look at reality. And, you know, things seem so clear as we're looking at them, right? You're looking at all the data, you're looking at your situation, you're like, oh, this is how it must be. And you forget that our conscious mind is only processing something like (laughs) 0.000000034% of uh, what our unconscious is looking at. Like it's a sliver of what's actually out there. And so as you're looking at one of three things, yourself, like who you are, what your personality is, what you're capable of, Another, how you see somebody else or how you see somebody else or or the world, like the world just operates this way. If you don't have the results in your life or your business that you want, it is fundamentally a miscalculation or a misview or a misbelief of how you're seeing one of those three things. And so as you can dig into that and say, how can I view the reality of that a little bit differently? That's the first step to start to free yourself from it. Sure. Makes sense so far? Love that. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I feel like um, oftentimes you hear like you got to put yourself in 
an, an area of discomfort to learn more and stretch, right? And I think right. that, that applies to your thinking around expanding your reality. The next step you talk about is, you know, going... What we call it Amazon is diving deep, right? Yeah. And when you dive deep, as you say, there's no going back. Talk about that as a second principle. Yeah. Well, the second step is really commit to what it is that you want to achieve. And I, I call it get a tattoo. It's not like make a goal. It's not hope for something. It's not wishing for something. <laughs> it's like you commit to that thing you want to achieve. Sure. No matter what. It's what I did when I signed the agreement to speak at that conference. Like everything inside of me said, don't do it. You're not qualified. <laughs> it's going to be I have signed up and the flights are booked. <laughs> exactly. You want to commit yourself to the goals that you have, personal or professional, in a way that's going to call you into action. Because if you're looking for, if you want the results you have already, how you're operating is perfect. But if you want breakthrough results, you've got to commit to something bigger than you actually know how to achieve and put yourself on the line for it in a way that when you start to doubt yourself, you want to turn back, you're a little bit worried, you have these thoughts that you think you can't, that it's going to force you to keep taking steps ahead. It's hugely important to wow. really achieve any kind of breakthrough. Love that. Uh, and I love that idea. It's like, don't just dip your toe in, like go all in, you know, right. do um, it or don't do it. Let's do it. Exactly. <laughs> the next one is, uh, you talk about who you surround yourself with. And I, I right. we've always heard surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. And for some reason, yeah. people don't always do that, but you talk about, yeah. um, holding on to those where you have great potential and, and, and how you think about the group you put yourself around. Talk about how you right. think about it, that both work and personal. Again, it's a step further. It's something that's got a little more teeth. It's not a personal board of directors. It's not right. hanging around with successful people. Th those things are important. But what I call this third step is you build a street gang. Mm. Right? Right. I like it. You're specifically accountable to a person at a specific day, specific time, specific deliverable, you're 95%, 95%, not 70%, not 60%, 95% more likely to achieve that goal. Wow. That's amazing. Right. So, you know, surrounding yourself with those people that are going to go toe to toe with you and not let you off the hook when you've got the excuses, which by the way, may be valid but are going to kind of look deeper and say, okay, well, maybe you didn't achieve it. Maybe all these circumstances of not having enough time, not having enough money, they are valid, but how could we have achieved that goal anyway? And that's what that's about. So kind of like an accountability partner or accountability group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody that's going to be really, really strong with it though. Not somebody that's going to be like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry <laughs> right. about it. Try it next time. Right. Not like you want somebody that's going to dig cry. in <laughs> right. and really call you to the mat. Um, the next one you talk about is roadblocks and how you use those to your advantage. I, I mean, talk about what this has meant for you. Yeah. Well, it's a very stoic philosophy of the obstacle is the way. And it's the fourth step, which is flip it because sometimes let's face it, there isn't enough time or there isn't enough right. money or there are real things in hard reality that are immovable. But it, it really is those things when you start to look at them differently that become the pathway to success. Uh, I'll give you the example for myself just because, you know, we, we talked through the whole story already. <laughs> but th that big failure that I had that, what, that I was a part of was something that I had a a lot of shame about it. I was embarrassed about it. I didn't want to talk about it. Like that was the reason I had so much anxiety about speaking in public. 
And somewhat ironically, it is that very thing that I didn't want anybody to know that I've kind of excavated from myself and started to talk about. And in a very strange way, that's become a core piece of why I'm successful in doing what I'm doing today. The obstacle, what I thought was the obstacle, actually became the way. And I, I think no matter what situation you're in, I get it. You want to cover up the proverbial warts. But if you take the time to understand how that might work for you in a way that could be dramatically different from how you're already thinking about it, you will find it. There's strength in every weakness, I promise. Wow. I love that. Um, and then finally, your fifth um, element here, you, you say flow, flex, and pivot to an outcome, <laughs> right. no matter what, which is kind of your tagline here. Talk That's about right. that. Yep. That's right. Well, if the way out is through, the way through is to surrender. And mm, I mean that in a very that. specific way. It's, it's not giving up and sitting on the couch and watching Netflix and ordering a pizza, although I get it. I've done it many times. <laughs> Right. All right. There's a time and a place for that. (laughs) But when I'm talking about surrender, I'm talking about active and intentional acceptance of what is exactly how it is and exactly how it isn't, by the way. Uh, Carl Jung, famous psychologist, I'm sure you're familiar. Many of your listeners are familiar with. He said, uh, we cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation about the circumstances that you're in, the partners that you have, how much money you have, not having enough time. Condemnation about those things does not liberate. It oppresses. And when you're hanging on to not having enough or not accepting things exactly as they are, it's actually an anchor that's holding you back. So when you open yourself to acceptance, you're actually moving through that discomfort. And that's what ultimately frees you from it. Wow. Really, really cool. Um so, and when you think about the target audience for this book, talk about the people that, that this could benefit. Yeah. Well, I, I really wrote it for leaders, leaders of organizations, entrepreneurs just starting out, and also big companies who are primarily the, the groups that I work with. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the CEO, although it, it does work better that way. It can work at any level inside of the organization. And it, what it does is, is when you start going through this process yourself, you start hunting discomfort and freeing yourself from it with those five steps, it'll start this ripple effect. Because just like my sister, people are going to look at you and be like, what, ha- what happened to that person? <laughs> like, how, how are they getting these results? How are they happy? Or how are they achieving these things that I wanted to achieve? And then they'll, they'll start to this is a bad word these days coming out of a pandemic, but they'll be infected <laughs> with that possibility. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that will grow inside of the organizational culture. And when you've got a culture that's hunting discomfort, you're yeah. unstoppable. I, I think you guys at Amazon are a great example of that. You know, you talk about day one, right? That's the, that's what we all say when you start working at Amazon. Every day is day one. Yeah. And I think there's inherent discomfort built inside of that mantra because, you know, your first day in a new job, you might be excited, but you're also a little uncomfortable. You know, I don't know these people. How come we're doing it this way? How do I talk to these vendors? Is there a way to do it better? And by building that discomfort into the framework of who people are, how they see themselves and how they're working, I think that's been a huge part of what's made uh, Amazon massively successful. 
Wow, amazing. Um, so I'm sure also you're thinking about your speaking opportunities that will come out of having a new book. Um, of course. How would you... Yeah, of course. How are you framing that message? In other words, when you're in front of different groups or audiences, what is it you're, you're starting to think about in terms of structure of that? Uh, well, really in the keynotes I'm delivering, it's going through those five steps in the book. And you know, I'll it. share a similar story to what we talked about here. But I think at its foundation, what this is, is it's a tool to confront the unknown, the uncertain. I mean, we live in a world today that we've got pandemic fallout, we've got tech disruption, we've got civil unrest, we've got labor shortages, we've got supply chain issues. And at the bottom of all of this is this, this unknown. And I don't think it's new. I just think it's rearing its head in a different way because when it comes down to it, like you really get down to the nuts and bolts of things. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us at any level. That's right. No doubt. And it, no it doubt. starts to seem that way because, you know, we're watching the news and the stock predictions and the meeting planners <laughs> and the calendar, <laughs> yeah. like everything's predicting everything about tomorrow, which right. is hugely helpful. It's necessary. But again, it's just not promised. So the, the unknown is something that we need to confront at a very human level, at a very personal level. And when we don't, we start to distract ourselves with other things. We get caught up in circumstances and reasons and excuses. And no when the unknown world starts to raise its head with, you know, the <laughs> pandemic was a great example of that. We're confronted with that unknown that has underlined everything all the time. And as we can come to terms with that, it, it starts to free us to actually declare big visions, to work through things, to achieve things in entirely new ways. And if you don't, by the way, if you, you're stuck in this world of circumstance and trying to survive, well, at a very human level and unconsciously, by the way, you're going to be left fearful to take risks, even smart sure. risks. Sure. You're going to be kind of withdrawing in yourself. And in some level, you're going to be fighting for survival. You want to talk about the burnout these days. I think that's a huge contributor to it. No doubt. And so as we go through that system, I'll, I'll share the five steps and then wrap up with some of the, the big wins from the no matter what community I love that have it. done just incredible, incredible things. I mean, raised, uh, created eight-figure companies, transformed their, their bodies and their health and fitness, like my sister. Um built transformational teams inside of big companies. I mean, the things that these people are doing constantly inspire me. Like, I think I got a lot out of the system. What they've done with it is infinitely Pretty amazing. More. And those stories are what, you know, I think get people excited and make, bring it to life, you know, in a real way. Exactly. Um, very, very cool. Sterlinghawkins.com. Where can people buy your book? Um, just came out and just a couple of days ago. So talk about where people can find the book, engage with you beyond your website, et cetera. Exactly. Uh, thanks for that. So huntingdiscomfort.com, you can find all things oh, about the book. And there's perfect. some freebies there for folks that have purchased the book. There's a, a workbook that goes alongside it. There's a five-day challenge. We're going to be doing some live Zooms where people can ask me all sorts of questions about anything. Uh, and it's also sold anywhere great books are sold. So Amazon, <laughs> nice. of course, and everywhere else. Everywhere else. You've got tons of spots here um, on your site. And very, very cool. Um, man, so fun. I'm excited for you. New book. And I'm sure there will be others to follow. And um, you got to come back on with us down the road. Share some of your experiences and stories that you, you get as you're out talking to different groups. We'd love to have you back on, man. And it's always good to see you. I'd love to join you. really appreciate you having me on. And yeah. Uh... Until next time. 
The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.